This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, April 26th. Good afternoon. When setting up an individual retirement account, you have two major options. We'll discuss them in our next segment. But right now, earnings from the tech sector lead today's data. Let's take a closer look with Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director with Clearstead Advisors based in New York. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Let's begin by talking about Microsoft. Uh, You're hearing words like blowout, the best in two decades. What was so good about Microsoft's first quarter? Well, every part of the business did well, but the long-term story is uh, the, the cloud and, and AI, uh, which are two driving factors in growth in the economy and in the case of Microsoft, and Microsoft delivered on, on uh, all cylinders. And then taking a look at uh, Alphabet, the parent company of Google, it did uh, beat on revenue and earnings for the first quarter, but there were some uh, uh, spots that were less bright than others. But let's take a look at the just you know the overall view of Alphabet and Google, and then we'll uh, look at YouTube next. Okay. Uh, so in terms of uh, uh, Alphabet, the, the, the feeling is that while the, the advertising business uh, uh, is, is less than optimal in this economic environment, again, cloud and AI are, are driving uh, earnings, and, and Alphabet did uh, better than expected again on both metrics. Although the revenue gain was modest, it was better than expected, and most people think that Microsoft and, and Alphabet, Google, are the best positioned in the artificial intelligence area, which is which is going to be transformative for our society. And with uh, YouTube, their ad revenue is down. And you mentioned this might just be a soft advertising environment because of concerns over the economy. But is this also a situation where maybe uh, the digital content companies are discovering there is a ceiling when it comes to digital ad revenue? Yes, for now that's absolutely true, and it, it, it's tr- it's uh, trans- transcending the entire platform, uh, all companies, and I would not expect uh, uh, any b- particular uh, exceptional revenue growth uh, in the near term in those areas. But again, the economy next year should uh, reaccelerate, and I would expect better growth next year. But this year should be very modest. And then let's talk about the uh, the, the the battle, the AI battle between Google and Microsoft. Uh, are they racing each other for? superiority or are their uh, offerings complementary? Well, I think that uh, uh, Microsoft got the jump PR-wise, uh, but most people who study the, uh, the area closely think there's room for both, both of them. Uh, Google Alphabet has the most to lose by falling behind, but uh, uh, the, the, the consensus seems to be there's room for both, they're complementary, and both will prevail and prosper. And is this a situation that when it's all said and done, when both businesses really uh, force their uh, AI 
offerings to mature and they're being used in a lot of different settings. It'll be very similar to uh, The Office, where uh, some offices run entirely on Microsoft and Outlook and others, uh, everything springs forth from the Google Drive. Yes, they will probably split the business. But again, the, the, the business is so big, so transformative and has so much growth that they can, they can split it and be competitive and, and both prosper. Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director with Clearset Advisors based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, deciding whether a traditional or Roth IRA is best for you. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As you think about setting up an individual retirement account, there are options to consider. Let's get some direction from Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park and author of the book, The Prescription for a healthy retirement. Chris, thank you for joining us today. You know, you, you hear people talking about uh, a Roth IRA versus a 401k. Uh, everything, you know, they get their name from the tax implications that are attached to it. But when you're setting up an IRA account, when you're in your 20s or getting closer to retirement, you know, how can you visualize the, uh, the tax implications that may be many decades down the road? Great question, Rob. Well, number one, at the end of 2025, it's already written in the tax code for a tax increase starting at the top of 2026. So that just means the Trump tax cuts are going to expire at the end of 2025. Now, of course, many things can happen before then, but that's already written into the code. So their taxes are actually on sale right now. So that's why a lot of people tend to gravitate toward putting money into a Roth IRA when they can, because you're putting after-tax dollars and your money's going to grow tax-free. Generally, as long as you wait till age 59 and a half, you can take the money out penalty-free and tax-free for the rest of your life. Now, you also mentioned people in their 20s, so I love to see young folks open up an, a Roth IRA versus just a traditional taxable account or even a traditional regular IRA pre-tax because they can put that money in there after tax, let it grow tax-free for the rest of their life, and little unknown fact, even though you have to hold that account to 59 and a half before you can take money out tax-free, if you just take out your contributions, there's no hand slap, there's no penalty. So it makes for a nice container of tax-free money that you can grow from very early on. So basically, uh, you know, what what are the you you talked about the Roth IRA and uh, uh, the it's it's after taxes contributions, but then it's tax-free when you take out after a certain age. What happens if you're enrolled in a 401k or a 403b plan? Well, usually 401ks and even some 403bs are offering Roth alternatives now. So if you're employed with one of those employer-sponsored plans and they offer you a Roth option, that's certainly attractive. You know, I think you have to kind of step back and look at everything, too. I have some clients that have very high incomes and they want to take that tax deduction. They're looking to stay in a traditional IRA. Not all of them. So you have to watch if you're going to put money into the after-tax Roth 401k, 403b, 457, whatever, then that's going to impact your currently 
in your tax program. So you got to take a look at that. Now, your question, though. I was going to say, you, you, you're, you we're listing all of these uh, different uh, flavors of uh, retirement accounts, and maybe your head is spinning about the uh, various tax implications, one versus the other. But let's just say you're setting aside for retirement. You are going to access that money uh, after 59 and a half. You're not going to get into it early n- unless you know, you're in a real heap of trouble. Uh, what, you know, what should you be thinking about in terms of the here and now, which is the more advantageous for you, either in terms of uh, you know, taking a tax write-off this year versus having it tax-free several decades from now? Right. Well, you know, that takes some analysis. You really, there's no straight-up answer to that. But I will say, I do believe taxes are going incredibly higher long-term. So why not take advantage of some Rothing if you can? You're going to have to weigh that with your tax professional, with your fiduciary, and really take a look at how to allocate those dollars for the best results. Rothing as a verb. I love it. Is that uh, that, that standard uh, industry parlance? I don't know. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> you just coined a phrase. Well, Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president and wordsmith of uh, Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park. Thank you for joining us today off the book, uh, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Coming up next, recent bank failures have some people concerned about what it means for their stockpile of cash. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The recent collapse of major banks on both coasts has triggered fears among savers about the safety of their money. Let's talk about it with Dick Beauvais, financial strategist for the New York-based Odeon Capital Group. Dick, thank you for joining us today. I mean, first off, let's talk about the big banks, which did report, and they are actually in good shape. But this... uh, the, the, the collapse of these two banks in particular uh, could cause a great deal of stress for smaller lending institutions. Well, I, I, I actually am a little bit uh, deeply concerned, a little bit frightened about what's going on at the present time, because essentially uh, this is a replay of what occurred in the uh, 1980s when the SNL industry collapsed. And basically what caused the collapse then was the cost of money went up substantially. Interest rates, of course, went up. cost of money went up substantially for the SNLs at the same time as the value of their assets went down. And the value of the assets went down for the same reason, because interest rates went up. So the net effect is it was wiping out their net worth, uh, and they were having trouble holding on to deposits. And I think that um, we're seeing a glimmering of that uh, at the present time, uh, you know, throughout the industry. Even the big banks, I suppose, did so well, three of the four of them lost deposits in the quarter. So the net effect is we're dealing with the same situation. The cost of money for these banks are going up. As a result, deposits are leaving for higher returns elsewhere. The value of their assets are going down. Even if they're treasuries or very safe mortgages, they're going down, and that's putting a squeeze on their net worth. So, um, 
I don't know. It didn't. It didn't work out well, uh, you know, in the 1980s when that happened. And I think uh, one has to be concerned about it at the present time. If you are a depositor in any bank, then big, middle, small, and you hear stories like this, uh, and, and and now it's so much easier to to get information and to pull your money out. Uh, what do you do? Well, essentially, I don't believe that the American banking industry is going to collapse. I don't believe that people have to fear their deposits uh, in the vast majority of American banks. And by that, I mean of the 4,500, uh, 4,005 of them out there, my guess is that, uh, you know, 95, 98% of them are are totally safe. And, and therefore, if, if you're the average investor, average depositor, I, do, I don't think you have to worry. I, I think, you know, what you have to worry about is that the Federal Reserve has shrunk its balance sheet. The balance sheets of all the banks are shrinking. The money supply of the United States is shrinking. With all of those three things in place, I think you have to worry more about your job than your deposits in the bank. And then taking a look at just the, the stress that the sector is under, um, obviously the larger institutions uh, do have the ability to weather lots of different types of storms. We saw two banks collapse already in, uh, in, a, in a rather large fashion. Is, will we see more? Uh, will, we, will there be more Silicon Valley banks and more First Republics by the time it's all said and done? Well, keep your fingers crossed. First Republic didn't collapse yet, but the point is, um, I think that you you do have to be concerned about more banks, you know, not being able to maintain themselves. Um, but they'll be relatively small, and I don't think they'll be big enough to cause uh, distress. I mean, I think the, the the real issue is, if deposits keep leaving the banking system, the money available to make loans for anything from buying a house to starting a business to, uh, you know, increase in the inventory won't be there. And if it's not there, it has a very negative impact on the economy. So I I think there has to be some thought given as to how to shore up, uh, you know, the the deposit flows in the banking industry, uh, because without a positive deposit flow, without an increase in money supply, without a Federal Reserve that increases the size of its balance sheet, you know, you you run into a sizable liquidity crisis. And, And as I say, Quite frankly, at the moment, I find the whole thing a little bit frightening. Dick Beauvais, financial strategist for the New York-based Odeon Capital Group, thanks for joining us today. And yes, I do need to clarify, First Republic Bank did have a drop-off in deposits, but uh, officials there say uh, it's been stable since the end of March. It was Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, which collapsed. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Investigators look for the cause of a fatal fire on the far south side. Disney files suit against the governor of Florida. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, deciding where to place student debt in your financial plan. A well known tequila company's purchase of a site in Chicago reflects the drop in value for a commercial property in the city's downtown. WBBM Business. 
August. The markets are mixed. The Dow down 76 points. The Nasdaq is down 117. And the S&P 500 is down 2.5. We have 49 degrees right now at O'Hare under mostly sunny skies going up to 52. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, a 54-year-old woman is dead after a morning fire in the far south side Roseland neighborhood. Crews were called just after 6.30 to the 300 block of West 108th Street. Battalion Chief Barry Temple says another person inside got out safely. There was also another tenant that lived on the second floor and he was able to self-evacuate upon our arrival, thank God, because there was a working smoke detector on the second floor. We don't know about the first floor. A preliminary investigation indicates the fire may have been started by smoking materials. The Walt Disney Company is filing suit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. It alleges he's been waging a campaign to weaponize government power against Disney. The move is a dramatic escalation of the ongoing feud involving DeSantis and the company, which is the state's largest employer. The announcement comes on the day that the Board of Supervisors, picked by DeSantis to oversee Disney World operations, moved to undo a development deal. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed today. We're joined by Paul Nolte, Senior Wealth Advisor and Market Strategist at Murphy & Sylvest in Chicago. Paul, thank you for joining us today. The NASDAQ is up, and for that, I suppose, we can thank Microsoft. Uh, absolutely. They hit it out of the park yesterday. To a lesser extent, Alphabet did too, and that's the key for this week is big tech earnings. We get meta after the close today. And that, I think, is one of the things that investors have been looking at is how has or how have those companies done with AI, what's happening with the cloud, uh, and are they still having some of the pricing power that they've had over the last couple of years on top of the layoff announcements that they've had recently. So I think this kind of clears the deck a little bit for some of those companies and investors are reacting favorably. Now, Google did say they, there was a softening in their online ad business. The search side was doing well, but there was definitely a, a bit of a drop-off on the YouTube side of the equation as far as the ad market is concerned. Does that raise a couple of red flags for Meta when they announce later today? It's potentially uh, a red flag for Meta. Meta is in process of, I want to say right-sizing, but certainly shifting a little bit of the direction of the company away from the metaverse, and it's part of the announcements for the layoffs, and kind of getting back to the basics. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts their earnings, because the meta has been, uh, the metaverse and the spending has been a huge drag on the company in the last couple of quarters. And then a couple of other uh, story stocks today. Let's talk about uh, formerly Chicago-based Boeing, uh, which uh, did see uh, it did beat analysts' expectations despite the fact that it was having uh, some trouble with the assembly of 737s. That's just slowing things down. It is, and this has been the problem child now for quite some time. This is the seventh straight quarter that Boeing has recorded a loss. But in uh, Wall Street parlance, better than expected. So uh, the cash flow was much better than expected, although still negative revenue, et cetera. They are anticipating to get the 737s uh, up and running by year end and looking forward. But this has been a story that we've heard for a while about the 737. And until they are able to demonstrate that, that can fly right and fly well. 
The company, I think, is going to be struggling uh, over the next couple of quarters. Another quick service restaurant uh, that uh, turned in a pretty sparkling first quarter report was uh, Chipotle. Uh, restaurant traffic growing, uh, same store sales jumping almost 11%. And that's in the face of uh, menu prices going up roughly 10% from a year ago. Yeah, and this has been indicative of companies like McDonald's, uh, like Pepsi, Kimberly Clark, where we're seeing that pricing strength that these companies have, that they're able to push through a lot of the, the price increases. There's been some benefit on the other side. In the case of Chipotle, avocado prices have come down. Uh, in the price of uh, in the in the case of Kimberly Clark, they've seen some. Uh, reduction in their expenses as well, which have kept the margins up. But we've seen it in a lot of these types of companies that are are more consumer-related and are indicative of people going out and doing things as opposed to just buying something that we saw during the pandemic. So it does lead us to believe that the economy continues to do reasonably well, and all of these companies are, are great indications of an economy that remains strong. Paul Nolte, Senior Wealth Advisor and Market Strategist at Murphy & Sylvest in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, where to place student debt on your list of priorities. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday. Millions of people are working to pay off their student loans, but it's not the only financial obligation that needs to be met. Let's talk about prioritizing payoffs with Ed Jertson certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. Ed, thank you for joining us today. Uh, when I graduated from college uh, more years ago than I care to remember, uh, I had to start uh, paying off my student loans about December after graduation, and it was very simple. Set up an automatic payment plan, and you never even thought about mon- that money as stuff that you would access. There was a monthly payment that went out uh, at the beginning of the month, and that was it. You set it, forget it, then you paid it off. And uh, that's it's it's a different story today for people who owe because of a couple of complicating factors, starting with the uh, student loan pause that's been in effect for almost three years. Yeah, Rob, you know, student loans, again, similar to possibly you, myself, I paid through college through student loans. And so that was the only available vehicle that I had to help me finance uh, my, my, uh, my college degree. And so if you look at all things that have happened, transpired since COVID, it's, it's complicated the world of student loan repayment, repayments so much more. It's creating more confusion and more challenges than just, again, what you and I face in terms of we just pay this every month. And unfortunately, to, to tell your listeners, it's not getting any less clear because you've got a Supreme Court decision coming up. There's a lot of things that are in motion right now that are keeping people from paying based upon what they think may happen. And it's 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 all about prioritizing, you know, what you should take care of. And should you consider your student loans on par with a mortgage or other uh, things you have to pay every month? Yeah, so student loans have this own sort of element in 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 terms of the payments because there are so many different elements that go into it. We know if you don't pay your mortgage, right? We know what happens, right? You know if you're going to go buy a house, you get a mortgage. That's straightforward. There are so many nuances to student loans and student loan repayment. If you work in a civil service job after graduation, if you have low income, there are so many different complicated elements to this. 
throw on top of this, Rob, the fact that many of us have heard that there might be student loan debt relief, right, $10,000 or $20,000. And you've got a lot of student loan uh, borrowers who are like, well, why should I pay if they're going to forgive this? And and again, we don't normally get, you know, loan forgiveness on our mortgages. But this is, again, one of the complicated issues facing student loan borrowers. And it's simply a matter of just probably uh, reaching out to an expert because there are forgiveness programs already in place that have been passed by Congress that are not subject to uh, Supreme Court review that uh, people just may not be aware of. Uh, you mentioned a couple of things about uh, getting a, 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 a civil service job. There are some other programs that you can take advantage of that will allow you to erase your student debt just based on a job or a sector that you're in. Yeah, Rob, we're big fans of, of reaching out to experts. And as you had mentioned, this this is so complicated I mean, our firm, right, we guide clients to one of our allied partners who specialize in student loans. And and when we were talking to this individual before bringing them on uh, with our company, I mean, they were teaching me things that I didn't know. And so I'd like to think I know a lot, but it's amazing how complicated things are. But again, an important point for listeners is that you might be in a day job today that may offer you potential relief because of you know, the, the, the vocation that you chose. So again, back to kind of your point, it's very complicated and a lot of these rules were put in place post-COVID. So seek out someone who can really give you guidance and advice to your particular situation because there's generalities, but especially when we're talking about student loans, it's really important to understand what you're doing and how you're doing. 44 million Americans uh, estimated to carry uh, some sort of student loan debt. The average balance for a recent graduate, $40,000. 37000 of that goes to the federal government. Uh, how much of a financial burden is that for someone just starting out? It is. It's a big financial burden. As you said, it's just part of part of the process, right? You know, you've got auto loans, you've got uh, mortgage payments, rent payments, whatever it is. So for all your listeners, and again, when we're guiding our clients in terms of college and college expenses, it's, it's what are we expecting on the back end? What is that, that potential rate of return, if you would, of that college tuition? And so sometimes we see folks who spend a lot of money in school, and it's going to take them a really, really long time to pay off that debt, where initially, if they could have you know configured it a different way in terms of maybe a community college for two years or finding a lesser path, lesser expensive path to get that that uh, diploma, that's sort of the goal. Because again, it's about $100,000 a year for in-state tuition and about 75% more of that for out-of-state. It's not going down anytime soon. So just be very careful on the finances so you're not really putting yourself into too, too deep of a hole to start. Ed Jertsen, Certified Financial Planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The company that makes Jose Cuervo tequila has reached a deal to buy an office tower at 300 South Wacker Drive. Let's discuss the price tag and what it says about downtown office values with Danny Ecker, reporter with Crane Chicago Business. Danny, thank you for joining us this afternoon. What does this mean for Chicago? outside of the fact that uh, because Jose Cuervo bought the building, I've had the song Hey 19 by Steely Dan stuck in my head all morning. <laughs> Which is a great song. It That's is a great song. song. Yeah. Maybe the uh, Colombian coffee people will buy the neighboring building. <laughs> Different Colombian, of course. Yeah, well, in this case, yeah, the company that's buying, it's called Agave Holdings. They're the, the real estate arm of the uh, family that owns Jose Cuervo. 
And the news is that they bought uh, or have a deal to buy the 35-story office tower at 300 South Wacker, like you said. Uh, And what's interesting about it is really kind of how it's getting done. This is a very difficult time to uh, complete the sale of an office building, given how um, how much how weak demand is for workspace and property values have dropped so severely. Um, and in this case, what uh, what's happened is the owner of the building basically uh, worked together with their lender and Agave and said, hey, we're going to get a deal done where our lender is also going to be the lender for you, uh, Agave, and you're, you're the buyer here. So it's kind of a way that in a time where it's very difficult to get financing to buy an office building, some of these sellers, in this case, they call it stapled financing, that they can kind of uh, help get a deal done. And uh, might be a little bit of a blueprint to get some other office buildings sold, uh, you know, in the next uh, for the rest of the year. Now, it looks like the uh, seller of this particular building is going to take uh, quite the haircut because uh, they bought the building for tens of millions of dollars and then put uh, many more millions into renovating it. Yeah, and this has been pretty standard. So the the sellers in this case, which is a venture of uh, Chicago developer Golub, uh, as well as a Boston investor, Alcyon Adventures, uh, they paid $155 million in 2017 for this building on Wacker Drive. And the value now for the sale puts the building at about $96.5 million, which is the value uh, roughly of the loan that their lender uh, has. So uh, so basically, the owners here are getting completely wiped out. Obviously, they've had some income from operating this building, but they've spent another $10 million on renovations. So this is certainly a, uh, you know, shows the, the scope of the financial pain for a lot of office building owners. They're not the only ones. There are many cases like this all over the city. Uh, and in some cases where, you know, the owners are facing foreclosure or just having to hand over their building saying, realizing they're, you know, they have their buildings are worth far less than the debt they owe. What's in it for Jose Cuervo outside of the fact that they're getting a a, a downtown Chicago office building for a, a, a relatively cheap amount of money? Yeah, I think they're obviously just betting that, uh, you know, a, a buildings that are high quality and that have been updated actually will do better coming out of the pandemic. Um, there's been lots of evidence to show that the top buildings, the Class A buildings, as they're called, are doing far, far more of the leasing uh, than than some of the other stuff. So Agave is basically saying, hey, if we can get in at a pretty good price, we can get some leasing done and try to ride the market back up, um, uh, you know, obviously over the next three, five years, however long they plan to hold this, and then hopefully sell it for more. This is, by the way, the second office building they purchased downtown in the last, uh, uh, just over the last year or so. Early in last year, they bought another one at 225 West Washington. So they obviously see opportunity in Chicago office buildings, but only at a, a pretty low price. That's Danny Ecker, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.